It is now time for our main speaker. Please welcome Susan Y. from San Pedro. Hi, Cheers. Thank you, Kent and Jesse, so much for inviting me. This is such a thrill. Um, like Kate was saying, you know, how blessed are we during these times to have this place to go and see everybody? And these Zoom meetings, I mean, gosh, I've been all over the world. I'm so happy I discovered these. Um, but I was thinking, whenever I come to a Zoom meeting, I think of a funny thing, which is when I was a real little girl, I'm talking, I don't know, zero to six. My biggest dream in life was just to walk into people's houses and look at them. I just wanted to look at houses. Isn't that weird? So now I get to. I get to see you all in your habitat. So my God is good. Anyway. Uh, happy birthday to the birthday people and congrats to the chip people. And I want to say, um, honestly, you're all the most important person in the room to me because without you, I don't know what I do. You know, this, this, this weird new lifestyle that we have now is a, a perfect, uh, a perfect breeding ground for a lot of thinking, isn't it? And if I didn't have you to reach out. Two, I don't know what I might think is a good thing to do. Um, I'll tell you how I got here. <clears throat> I was born in Dallas to a dying alcoholic father and a desperate mother. My mother was beautiful, kind, strong, hard worker, clever. Tried every way she could think of. I have three older sisters. I was the uh, the fourth sister and. She tried all those years to create a house he wouldn't have to drink it to make it good enough for him. And um, she could never do it. So shortly after I was born, she grabbed me up and my sisters and we moved out. And uh, we lived in Dallas for five years and it was a pretty mellow life. I mean, my mother had to work all the time, but we went to, I went to a little nursery school on the bus and you know, came home and drank Welch's Kool-Aid and watched Zorro and such. And uh, when I was five years old, my parents reconciled. My father, shortly after I was born and my mother left him, had come out to Los Angeles and gotten sober and alcoholics anonymous. And um, so when I was five, we took the train into Los Angeles and I just remember seeing this strange man jump up and swing my mom in a circle on the train. And I didn't like that. And I didn't like him. You know, my whole little life just upended. And you hear about, you know, divorce trauma, but there's also reunification trauma. And suddenly having this man in the house, and he's a dynamo man, as is my mother, as are my sisters, really. I'm more, a little more quiet, I think, but man. It was just boom, we landed here and suddenly we're going to all these AA clubs and you guys are always at our house. And I mean, always at our house. And uh, it was just, you know, unbelievable. So that became my normal from five on. And uh, I always compare it to growing up in a mafia family because you know, you have your little friends outside at school and things. But you don't tell them about the people at your house playing tackle croquet because they don't understand that. So um, I grew up and, uh, you know, my parents' mantra was act right 
And I learned how to shake your hand and ask how you like your coffee and wander away. And that was that. And my sisters and I called you the crazy AAs and that's all you were to us. And you know, in retrospect, you know, there's a, one thing I want to say, especially for the new people, if they haven't experienced this yet or anyone who maybe is wondering or forgot that they experienced this, but uh, when I worked my steps the first time, I really realized that God has been in my life all through it, all through it. You know, I had some, I had some wacky idea when I came here being so beat down that somehow I had to re-win God's love. I had to win that again. You know, I had to be so good that maybe, maybe, but that's not the case. The case was that God was always right here and I would turn away, but once I turned back. So growing up in that house, I see how God was in my life all the time. I mean, what a gift going to these meetings, you know, in 1963 and hearing all those amazing people and Chuck Chamberlain and Norm and everybody you can think of. And to me at the time, I was just like, whatever. Well, Chuck Chamberlain to me, you know, even in my drinking, he always exuded God to me. There was something about him, I just felt it. But didn't ever make me wonder if I was an alcoholic or, you know, care about it that much. So my little group of friends in those days was your kids that would come to our house with you. And one day we all went to the beach and had a beer and a joint, about five of them. And for the first time, it was like, I just could be. I was not only quiet, I was pretty anxious. I was a pretty anxious kid. And all of a sudden, I just wasn't. And that started, <clears throat> I remember I live in a dry house that you're in all the time. I had to be pretty clever, but whenever and however I could do that again, I did that again. And I, my parents sent me to a nice Catholic high school. I could be a perfect chameleon there. I had my rich little friends that drank in a sophisticated way. I had my friends in the park that were, you know, drinking and smoking pot and dropping acid, and that was fun. And I thought I was just a Cosmo girl. I got along with everyone. And that life went on. And when I graduated high school, I knew you go to college, you act right. So I started a, uh, a junior college and got a little apartment right off campus, and that became the party house. And I could enroll in five classes and drop four, enroll in three classes and drop two. Also, if you're a young person now, I'm sorry you didn't go to college in the 70s because in those days, not only was it free, but you could get in any college anytime. I went to colleges all up and down California trying to find the right place. You know, you write a good letter, doesn't So anyway, that was dreamy. But uh, that's another place God was in my life. So one night, uh, you know, there are all these forks in the road. God presents all these forks in the road. And I don't think there's ever a road you can take that God goes, that's it. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I think we have these forks in the road because we're free creatures and we can choose which way we're wanting to go. And one of my forks was a guy my dad sponsored called me and asked me on a date. And I was like, wow, that's pretty kinky and pretty incestuous, but all right. So I went out with him and fell wildly in love immediately. He was, I like excitement. I don't incite a lot of it, but I like to be there while it's going on. And uh, he was a, he had been, he was five years sober, but he'd been an alcoholic, a heroin addict, a barbiturate addict, a hot robber, 
all kind he'd been in San Quentin, he'd been in Camarillo. What's dreamier than that? <laughs> Much more exciting. I just fell wildly in love with that guy. And we had this tumultuous old relationship, but I knew how to act right. He thought it was cute if I had a couple glasses of wine with dinner or even if I smoked pot. He didn't ever, you know, he thought I was just adorable. And um, so our our relationship was kind of exciting. And at one point it got too, we got in a big fight and I went up to UC Davis and uh, he followed me and I got pregnant and we got married. And that was the best time of our marriage while well, I lived in Davis and he lived down here in LA. That was dreamy because you know what? I always longed, to me the best, the best part of this program is the first word of the first step, the we. The reason I'm so happy to be in this meeting. I always longed for we. I just want to be, I thought I just wanted to be connected to someone or something. And it, no matter what I tried to connect to, it just never really worked out, you know? And I thought, well, this baby and this man, this will be the we. But I couldn't connect. I couldn't. That just wasn't my nature. So me living in Davis and him living in L.A., I could long for him. I could imagine we were we, but we weren't. And when I moved back down here, just, ooh, because I can't act right 24-7. I can't not drink the way I drink. I can't not act the way I act. So we were in marriage counseling immediately, and the counselor's like, what is it you want? And I'm like, I don't know, but I know it's not this. That was the theme of my whole life. I don't know what I want, but I know it's not this. It's going for the next person, the next situation, the next anything. Hand me something to take. Hand me something to drink. Do something. I got to get something. So anyway, uh, you know, for years I blamed that man solely for the horror that our home was. And I blamed his anger because he was an angry dude. I blamed his anger for making my life a living hell. But, you know, the fact of the matter is um, it was at least half mine. And I have, I, have to, I have to give him credit for staying with it for 12 years. And we had three babies in the first five years. And none of them fixed me. And I thought that each one would. And, man, they paid for it. Kate talked about being a neglectful mother. I was a neglectful mother and an abusive mother. And uh, it's not something I'm proud of, but it's a fact. Because I wanted my kids to act right, too. But, you know, when you're drinking, right looks different every 10 minutes, doesn't it? Like some two-year-old's supposed to know what they're supposed to be doing now. Some five-year-old's supposed to know. They didn't know. And, uh, and it was a pretty violent, hideous little house. It was... Anyway, went on like that. And my husband just started working seven days a week. He just didn't want to be around me anymore. And, I didn't want him around anymore. And uh, I eventually dropped out of school, dropped out of, I had a series of little jobs and little friends and, you know, <clears throat> alcohol. You hear people talk about this at meetings a lot. Alcohol actually opens up. You're an alcoholic, alcohol can open the world to you. It opens up the world. Suddenly it's this beautiful, like Kate was saying, colorful, vivid place. But after a while, it just starts to shrink again and starts to get dark again. And that's what happened to me. And what eventually happened was I had to back off from my family. I had to back off, you know, my, my parents, my sisters, my friends, my jobs, my friends. Like I, I just had to back off everything. And where I wound up was, uh, oh, I, I do want to say I did get arrested one time. Um, 
And it was because I had a dog off a leash. Can you believe it? So some guy gave me a ticket, which I threw away. And then the police came to my work and took me to jail. So I'm a badass. I was in jail a whole day. But uh, anyway, what eventually happened was I became like the alcoholics that they talk about in our book, you know, in our literature. I, I retreated to my cave. It was like Puff the Magic Dragon. And pretty soon I was just laying on my kitchen floor. That husband also built us a beautiful house. And I had these beautiful wooden floors. And I would just lay on that wooden floor sort of wrapped around the cat dishes and and uh, drink and think to myself, God, how I had tried in this life. How I tried in this life. I had big dreams. I wanted to be a, I thought I was a political activist. I wanted to be a rock star. There's so many things I wanted to do. I wanted to have one baby of every ethnicity on the planet, a biological baby. I had all these dreams. And pretty soon they all narrowed down to, I'm 31 years old laying on my kitchen floor and praying to die. And at that point, you know, our 12 and 12 talks about the, the person, you know, it's harder for the person to get faith who once had a faith and lost it or you think God you believe in God but God doesn't believe in you and um I my mother was a hard hardcore Irish Catholic we grew up at church we grew up knowing there was a God and then I had you guys all the time everywhere so I heard about God 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 the reality of God I didn't know about because I just shut that I slammed that door a long time ago so but I did have also dreams there. So I would keep, just in case, I had a little shrine on a counter and I would keep little candles lit and things. And I would ask God for various favors. And they never, I never got the favors in my way of thinking. So the last favor I asked was just kill me, please. Just kill me. Just kill me. I just wanted to die. I just lay on that floor and want to die. And God knows what my kids were doing or when my husband was gone. But I would just pray for that, and uh, I couldn't shoot myself, and I couldn't overdose, because I didn't want to be ugly. I don't want to be bloody or barfed to death. I have to look beautiful, so everyone will go, she was so good. She was so good, and we never told her. That's how sick I was. So, one night, and God, you know, in my experience, this merciful God, and hopefully you newcomers have a, a well, you do, because you're in a meeting. You have some experience of this already. But that God, without my permission, the only permission I gave was I was so empty, I didn't have anything else. And I got a phone call from my sister in New Mexico. I had two older sisters who drank like I did. They both lived in New Mexico. And for some reason, I answered the phone. I'm lying on the floor singing my sad songs, but for some reason, I answered the phone. And she told me she'd been going to meetings for 30 days. And I just felt like somebody punched me in the stomach like, now you're a crazy AA? Like I had two friends left and now I don't even have you. And uh, my sister Mary. So I hung up the phone and I just felt sick. And then I thought, well, I bet because God uses everything we have. And what I had was this big ego, you know? I had to be beautiful dead. So everyone would feel bad that they hurt me. And I also had this big ego and I thought, she probably just told me that because she thinks I have a drinking problem. So I'm going to go to a meeting. This was my plan. I'll go to a meeting. You'll all vote and say, you're not an alcoholic. And then I'll go home and God will kill me. That's the last deal I made with God. 
before I got sober. I'll, they're going to vote I'm not an alcoholic, and you're going to kill me. And uh, I called. I mean, I had no desire to stop drinking because I knew alcoholics. Alcoholics had all been to the med house, to prison, died and been resuscitated. That's not my story. I was just dying on my kitchen floor. That's, that's mental illness. That's not alcoholism, as far as I was concerned. So I called central office and I found a meeting close by and I staggered in and well, I drank wine coolers all day so I'd be sober. So I kind of walked in, I stood in the lobby, I hid there. I've, and then I, you know, my ego came back. Oh, you can sit in a meeting. You've been sitting in meetings your whole life. I went in, I sat in the back row and I just cried and this dude just cried next to me. And all I heard was that portion of chapter three they read tonight. They go insane or they die. And I knew I was insane and I knew I was already dead on the inside. I just wanted to be dead on the outside. I didn't think, yeah, I'm home. Just, okay, so here's where AA training and ego come in. So I sat through that meeting and at the end of the meeting, this, I thought, you don't run out. You look like a loser. Stroll out and then, you know, wait a minute and then just stroll out. So I waited by the coffee machine for a minute. And uh, wearing all black, which was my uniform, and I cut my hair for something. And this Barbie doll ran up on me. Hey, honey, this is another way God works. You visiting? And I couldn't, I couldn't fight or flee. At that point, I was so afraid of people. I didn't talk to people. I didn't do anything. I just stood there. And she took me outside with this other woman, and she gave me a book, and she gave me a 12 and 12, and she gave me her number, and she gave me some literature, and she said, call me in the morning, honey. Well, first she was so funny. She goes, oh, your kids are that little? You sure you want to get sober, honey? <laughs> I'm like, no. But she gave me all this stuff. And, and the other woman that she was with was wearing this amazingly beautiful red lipstick. So I just gazed at that because that just held my interest. God uses everything. God used that red lipstick. Like, you're not going to, I grew up here. You're not going to tell me about AA. What do you think you're going to tell me about AA? So, nah, 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 and I stare at the lipstick. Well, something got in. She said, go home and get rid of the liquor in your house and call me in the morning. I went home. I drank up everything in my house, and I went to bed. One more night. One more, like, like 10,000 nights going, please don't let me wake up. Please don't make me wake up. But unlike the last 10,000 nights, I didn't wake up in the middle of the night and have to rush out and get a drink. I just woke up and dial that number that I want to No, I mean did I think I'm an alcoholic I need help I guess no I didn't this is all grace this is all God just these gentle pushes you know it's like that it talks about in step three that key of willingness that door is cracked open the teeniest bit you know God will come at you like a tidal wave so I called her and she immediately got me into that now that was on June 28th of 1989, and I haven't had a drink since. But on June 28th of 1989, I wasn't an alcoholic. I was waiting for God to kill me. The only difference between June 28th of 1989 and the day before was that I just called her. And I called the other lady. And she told me, one of the first things she told me, and I'll tell you new people, it was a big help, or anybody. Call three people in the program a day. Call three women in the program a day. Try to find women who have a little more experience than you have. You don't have to get into big lengthy conversations and tell your life story. Just call them up and say, hey, it's Susan. 
just checking in or whatever you want to do. And what that taught me was to be able to call people when I needed to call people. And what that taught me was that, because I was the one who would always go, no, 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 no. You know, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to be connected with you. That taught me to connect the teeniest bit. So when the time came that I needed to make that call, I could make that call. What a blessing. And so, like Kate was saying, she said to me, I can only, I asked her to be my sponsor. She said, I can only, this was after about a week. She said, I can only um, do with you what my sponsor did with me. I'd like you to work steps in a year and various other things. I followed her to five meetings a week. You know, um, shortly after I got sober, I saw that movie when a, man, uh, when a Man Loves a Woman or something like that. Well, anyway, the guy goes into the rehab where his wife has been for 28 days and spins her around in the air. And I just wept. I'm like, why didn't anyone do that for me? My husband at the time was like, if I catch you, I'll kill you. And, uh, but <clears throat> I just, I went through those steps in a year like she asked. I followed her to five meetings a week. If anyone had said to me, you need help here, let me help you. Let me do all this for you. I wouldn't have done it. That's just who I am. I wouldn't have done it. It doesn't mean I won't pick people up for meetings. It doesn't mean I won't call to check on them. It means that's my story. That's what I needed. I need to be completely left alone to make this my thing. Because if I think it's your thing or something you'd like me to do, I'll do it for five minutes and then I'll run away from it and blame you. So this had to be mine. I had to actively pursue it and I did. And as Kate said, after about six months, shortly after I got sober, I got a job in a religious ed office at a school that Kate worked at. And I, uh, when I was six months sober, she walked into a meeting and um, I wasn't friendly with a lot of people, but my sponsor said, well, you can, Pretend you're friendly. So I went up and said hello, and we started that with the walks and all that. And one thing she didn't mention that was funny was um, besides having everything in common and doing those two mile walks every morning at five o'clock in San Pedro up and down the hills, that was really, really good. You know, they talk, Bill talks about taking a lot of walks when he was depressed. It really helps your mental state. It did us. But every morning we would see these wild parrots. You know, the ones that just, you see every once in a while that escape ships or houses or whatever and created these flocks. And sometimes they'd be sitting in a tree quietly and then they just all start screaming or they'd fly over screaming. And that became sort of our totem. So, um, you know, we were always looking for meaning in everything. So we said, if we ever get 10 years sober, we're going to get a parrot tattoo because we didn't have a tattoo. And all the guys at our meetings had tattoos. <laughs> so. So we both have parrot tattoos, and what a blessing. What a blessing. It's the only tattoo I have, but it means everything to me. So after that year when I worked the steps, my sponsor let me leave my marriage, and uh, I moved to New Mexico for a couple years, and uh, where my sisters were, who were both sober, Mary and Kathy, by this time. What a blessing. You can't say, oh, my case is so different to people who have been, have the exact same story you have basically. So always, you know, one thing about my sponsor is she's, uh, she's exceedingly loving. And one of the first things she ever, well, the first thing she said to me was, you know, you never have to uh, feel this bad again, honey, which I didn't really understand. But then the sober didn't sure didn't feel good. But then she would always say, you know, um, she never badgered me or berated me or 
she'd call me on stuff. She'd ask me about stuff. I'd give her my lengthy idea of what I thought was a good idea, and she'd just laugh and say, well, you know, you're just God's kid, and when you get in enough pain, you'll do something about it. You know, she was real, real loving that way, but my sisters aren't. They just call me on my stuff all the time. So it's a good balance. And um, anyway, lived there a couple of years. A lot of stuff changed. You know, one thing I discovered is that uh, children who grow up in those chaotic, violent homes don't just get over it because you go, hey, I'm sober now. Peace, peace, love, love. You know, that violence didn't end immediately. And um, two of my kids ended up getting arrested and going to jail and and uh, as teenagers. And um, and one of my kids had a little fetal alcohol effect, apparently. He was developmentally very delayed. But in Santa Fe, you know, um, they said, put him in this, we can put him in this special school. And I said, absolutely not here. They just kept bumping him school to school. Santa Fe, we can put him in this new school. I said, no, you guys said, yes, try the, keep an open mind, see what happens. So I put him in the new school. He walked in in third grade and he couldn't write his name and he walked out in fifth grade at grade level. Blew my mind, blew my mind. And my older two kids had to go through their anger, man. My daughter hated me. She liked to tell me that a lot. She and her friends would gather around my bed while I was asleep like the Manson gang. It was just, it was a scary time watching my kids process you know, process their little lives. And we all had to go to court-ordered counseling and we had to have a social worker in our house and all this other, other stuff. Again, you know, my ego, like I'm six years sober. You don't send me to counseling and a social worker when I'm six years sober. You don't even know where I'm. My sponsor would always say, you get to do that, honey. All you got to do is show up and be sober. You don't have to say anything. Just show up and be sober, see what happens. What a blessing. You know, what a blessing. All these children are grown now, and they're all healthy, functioning. Oh, what happened was after two years in Santa Fe, I moved back here, and I, I married a normal guy who'd seen Bill and Bob on my wall and wanted to know about that because his ex-wife had gone through a, a rehab. And that was a really good foundation for a friendship. And, and uh, we ended up getting married, and I had three kids, and he had two, and then we had two more. And so for a person who doesn't necessarily like to connect that was a fun thing god did was just go here's 100 people in your house let's do this yay <laughs> usually i learn things you know sometimes it feels like getting drop kicked but as time goes on i see that it really isn't it's really just uh being willing to just walk forward a little bit just walk forward a little more just see what happens and and i'd like to say it's been brady bunch but we've had some challenges my husband had stage four cancer a couple times that was very challenging um one of my sons my stepson was a meth addict my son was a heroin addict both at the same time so talk about highs and lows that was crazy i don't know anything about meth or heroin or i didn't you know in and out of jail my son went off to Folsom. there was a year that was awful it was 2012-2013 my mother died suddenly. I was, what, 24, 25 years sober. I never felt like I got to make enough amends to her. You know, she was so good, took care of my kids all the time while I was drinking. Was 
just the most gracious, wonderful mom. And she died suddenly. And that was very heartbreaking to me because she was sort of the glue of our family. And then um, a couple months after that, <clears throat> uh, my son went off to Folsom. And then a few months after that, my stepson died of a drug overdose. And then it just was going on and on. And my husband had just had this stem cell transplant, which is like dying and coming back. It was just on and on. But here's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is I kept coming to you. The beauty of it is, you know, experiences like that, they're not fun. It's life on life's terms. But, you know, the blessing of it for me was that it brought life right to this moment. Like I have this busy head that just wants to be everywhere. But when you're in the middle of something like that, you're just here. You're just here in this minute. I'm here in this minute with you. There's never anything that happened like Kate was saying to me that I didn't, that you weren't there the minute I was there. And what a blessing to sponsor people because I've been with Kate walking through things I hadn't yet experienced. But when I did experience them, I had some idea how to walk through it. And I do that with all the women I sponsor and my sponsor. That's the beauty of the we here. And that's the beauty of the God here. And it doesn't matter what you call God or anything else. What matters is that, <clears throat> or what your image is of God, because I'll tell you what, I had God all figured out. I have a, I have a, de a bachelor's degree in theology. I know everything about God. No, I don't. But what I did, what I do know is that this God is bigger than I ever would have imagined is merciful and kind and funny and generous. And I mean, my mind is blown all the time. Like I am blessed beyond anything I could deserve. And, uh, and blessed with you be beyond anything I could deserve. So I guess wrapping it back around and I'll finish with, you know, in these days of this weird virus and stuff, I mean, um, I haven't wanted to die since I was newly sober. I still don't want to die, but you know what? I'm also not terrified. I mean, when I came in here, I came in here with so much fear. Oh, earthquakes, airplanes. I had a whole list of things that probably were going to make me drink. Oh, yeah, for my parents, something happened to my parents. Oh, I was going to drink. Oh, something happened to one of my kids. Oh, I'm going to have to drink. I had this whole little list. And, uh, and little by little, I've discovered, no, I don't ever have to drink. If I don't want to drink, I can come to you and I'll. Um, my father, you know, uh, was always... He's very dynamic and he was always gone. He was always working and at meetings and at meetings and at meetings and traveling around the world and doing all these things. And we had this very sort of, <clears throat> I mean, I was raised eating dinner together and doing all these little things as a family, but there was no sort of, um, no sort of connectedness there either because I don't connect. And I mean, there just wasn't the time or energy to do that. And when I made my amends to him, even the first time that first year, I had to like write a letter and leave it on his dining room table and run out because we don't talk that way. You know, we don't do that. And when my mother died, um, my sister Mary said to my dad, oh, now you're going to have to be our mom and our dad. And he said, okay. And guess what? He has been. So for the last seven years, for seven, I'm 62 years old. So when I was 55 years old, I got to know my dad. I got to get over that resentment I had the minute I saw him twirling my mom on the train. Finally, not only know him, but know him as a human being, love him, connect with him. 
I can't tell you how weird it was the first few times when he would call and just want to know how I was doing. <laughs> I'm like, who are you? And uh, it's been really, really sweet. In the last year, there's been a lot of challenges. He's fallen down a couple times. He had a little stroke. He's got a little Alzheimer's. And, uh, and he's a tough cookie, man. He just keeps going. But, um, you know, I get to... I get to kind of, I get to not only enjoy life with him and talk to him, really talk to him when he's able to really talk, but I also get to almost parent him. I almost get to see, he looks at me like this little tiny kid and it sounds weird, but in a way I get to make amends to my own children. I make living amends to my children, but I can't get their childhood back. But when my father is childlike, I get to make amends to those children by taking care of that child as I would have wanted to. And everything about this is, uh, everything about this is, I'm so grateful. So grateful for this. So grateful for you. So grateful for letting me talk. Thanks.